all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, as you hear, I'm still sick. I have my wife set up a doctor's appointment because this is getting a little bit scary. I've been sick for like a month, man. I guess my voice just won't come back. But they can't get me in for like two weeks, so I'm going to do my best to keep the episodes coming because, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. So just please try to bear with me and, you know, just put up with a little bit of, you know, hoarseness of my voice as we take a look at Chapter 6 because there's a lot going on in this chapter. Some new and interesting characters are introduced as well as some great storytelling. So let me shut up and get to the story. No one can fight without guns. Master Roop, Stav Kesh, 8,466 TYA, through your arrival. Stav Kesh. The name itself inspires a shiver of anticipation, a frisson of excitement. For Lannery, Kigong Kesh was a place of contemplation and immersion in Force skills, nursing and nurturing them, and considering what the Force meant to her. At the martial arts temple of Stav Kesh, she will learn to fight. It is dawn as Lannery and Dale approach the temple. They'd camped several kilometers to the north, and breaking camp when the sun rose above the eastern horizon is an incredible moment. The air here is thin, the mountains high, and they are both dizzy with breathlessness. But the thin air seems to purify the amazing colors of dawn. Dale seems excited. He was always good in a fight, as several arguments with the children of other Jedi at Bodhi Temple had proved. Lannery hopes that he will find the Force here and truly welcome it at last. When he sees what it can do... When he feels how it might help. This is my time, he says, if they stand on a rocky cliff path, a shallow ravine to their right. Snow had fallen in the night, and a light covering softens their harsh surroundings. Don't try to be my teacher here, Lannery, and don't try to be mother and father. You're my sister, that's all. Whatever happens to me here is my responsibility. Our parents made you my responsibility. We're not children anymore, and I'm my own man. It's a surprising thing for Dale to say. But as he walks ahead of her toward the temple, and she sees the strength in his stance and the determined set of his shoulders, it does not seem ridiculous at all. The breeze is picking up. Snow dances through the air. The landscape is harsh, weather likewise. Lannery knows that Stavkesh is never an easy place to be. My name is Tave, and I'm one of the masters of the temple. We've been expecting you. How was your journey south from the sea? No problems, Dale says. He does not mention the fire taiga, and when Master Tave glances at the healing burns across his forearms, Dale says nothing. After a brief pause, the Nogri Master smiles. Good. Wait here, and I'll send a droid to show you to your quarters. You have the morning to perform breathing exercises, acclimatized to the altitude. After lunch, your training begins. This afternoon, force breathing. Breathing? Dale says. I thought this was the martial arts temple. Master Tave stares at Dale, glances at Lannery, then turns his back on them both. Dale? Lannery whispers. Don't be rude. Rude? He asks, but at least he's keeping his voice low. But don't you think Master Tave knows what he's doing? Yes, well, but breathing? I'm sure it'll all make sense. She walks past Dale in between the wide temple doors, suddenly afraid that they will swing closed and shut her outside. Perhaps this is how Dale sometimes feels, she thinks. Her brother follows her inside, and together they take in their surroundings. 
She has seen plenty of hollows of Stavkesh, and heard many stories from those journeyers who visited there before Bodhi Temple in their own great journeys of learning. But nothing could have prepared her for the real thing. The strength of the Force, for a start. Lannery can feel the Force here as an almost physical presence. Ashlaw and Bogan exerting a gravity upon her that seems to stretch, pull in all directions, and give her body an incredible lightness. It is easy to let herself fall into the flow, and the talents she honed at Kigongkesh feel even more refined here. The Force is close, and it takes so little effort to become one with it. She glances at Dale. He is looking about him in wonder, and she hopes that some of it is recognition of the Force. But after what he said outside, she will not ask him. Stav Kesh does not so much cling to the mountainside as form it. Rocky outcroppings are visible here and there, but most of what Lannery can see above her are buildings. They start at her level and rise up the slope of the mountain, projecting out over heavy buttresses and elsewhere forming sheer cliffs of smooth gray stone. Windows pock wide facades, and balconies held up by slender, incredibly strong supports stretch out over long drops. Canvas window shades are already flapping in the dawn breeze, lending splashes of a dozen colors to the sandstone city. A waterfall tumbles from high above, leaving glittering icicles on the buildings and rocks it passes by. A series of wheels are driven by the fast-moving water. Spray hazes the air, and the newborn sun casts several rainbows across illuminated parts of the city. As Lannery watches the sunline move around the mountain's girth, the rainbows seem to be driving shadows before them. The scene is beautiful, and she remembers at last to draw a breath. On the mountainside below them sits the Tho Yor. They passed it on their ascent, mysterious, enigmatic, and the recent snowfall coated it with a glittering layer. Bet our room's right at the top, Dale says. Lannery laughs, more than the common warrants, because she is so pleased at hearing even a hint of humor from her brother. A floating droid arrives and utters their names in an electronic buzz. They follow. By the time they reach their quarters, Dale is laughing hard and panting, and perhaps crying just a little. One thousand three hundred, he says, gasping. I lost count of the steps after that. Good training, Lannery gasps. They glance into their room. Beds, benches, little else. Their training robes are laid on the beds, and she can already tell how rough they are and how cold they will be wearing them. Toughening us up, she thinks. She asks the droid where their afternoon session will take place. Master Tave always takes his classes in the lower training levels. The droid burrs. Of course he does, Lannery says. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Attack me, Master Tave says, with anything you can. The students are hesitant. Even Lannery pauses, though she knows that the Master will not suggest anything he does not mean. Then she walks to the weapons rack, picks up a slingshot, and fires a stone at the Master's head. He steps aside, and it misses. She pushes a force punch his way, and he deflects it with a flick of his fingers. Lannery dashes to the left, and her sudden movement seems to bring the room to life. There are six journeyers in the training courtyard, including her and Dale, and they take her enthusiasm as permission to attack. The Cathar twins go at Master Tave with heavy spiked chains that he easily avoids, leaving them tangled and useless. 
Dale darts in low and fast, swinging a mace at his legs, which are no longer there. Tave shoves Dale onto his back and kicks the mace aside. A Wookiee roars and swings two short, heavy clubs that Master Tave ducks and swerves around before planting a boot in the Wookiee's rump and sending her spilling to the floor. The last student to attack is a Twi'lek, who fires a force punch so powerful that it even takes Lannery's breath away. Master Tave deflects the punch back against its originator, and the Twi'lek staggers back with a bloodied nose. The large courtyard rings with their heavy breathing, their bodies still unused to the thin air. The fight drives their hearts, pumps blood, sharpens senses. But it is far from over. Again, Master Tave says. He is not even breathing hard. This time, Lannery, Dale, and the Wookiee attack simultaneously from three different directions, gasping, grunting, Lannery trying to sweep Tave's legs from beneath him with a sly force punch, Dale aiming a flying kick at his head, the Wookiee clumsy yet strong with her deadly clubs, and within moments, they are all on the floor, clasping bruises and wallowing in wounded pride. Lannery and Dale lock eyes, and her brother grins. They go again. The courtyard is a confusion of spilled bodies and bloodied noses and swirling snow. And as Lannery is casually cast aside for the third time, she sees the Twi'lek go at Master Tave with a surprisingly adept combination of Alchaka moves, the vigorous force martial art. Tave seems to never be where a punch lands or a foot kicks. And moments later, the Twi'lek spins through the air toward a far wall. The Master raises a hand and softens the flying boy's impact. Lannery is sweating even in her thin robe, her heart racing, breathing hard. Dale looks the same, but he also appears more alive than he has in a while. It's good to see him like that, but worrying too. Each of his attacks was traditional. Not once did he try to channel the Force. You all try too hard, Master Tave says. He walks among them with his hands behind his back, and there's no sign at all that he has expended any strength in holding off their attacks. You give in to effort and let it rule your moves. He points at the Cathar twins. You both held your breath as you attacked, and your hearts will not like that. At the Wookiee. A roar will not distract an enemy strong with the Force, but it will steal your breath, empty your lungs, tire you quicker. And at Lannery. And you. You stumble rather than flow. With every move you expend three times the energy you should. He stands in the middle of the scattered, panting, bleeding students and sighs. So, breathing. For the rest of that afternoon, Master Tave teaches them how to breathe. To begin with, it feels unnatural and goes against everything Lannery thought she knew, because breathing is something she never thinks about. She has done it forever. It simply happens, like her heart beating, her blood flowing, her mind working both when she is awake and asleep. But by the time they stop at mid-afternoon for drinks and a handful of local fruit and nuts, she realizes the truth. Tave is showing them how to breathe with the force, as well as with air. Perhaps later she will have to revisit her heart, her blood, her thinking. The students enjoy the session, but Lannery does not allow herself to draw too close to the others. Usually gregarious and willing to make friends, she feels the pressure of her responsibility for Dale. And now that he has emphasized his independence from her and their parents, that pressure feels even greater. Dale also remains somewhat aloof. He's enjoying the training, she can see that, but he is also selective about what he is taking from it. The more Master Tave tells them that the Force is their friend, their protector, the balance that they must find, the more she perceives Dale's attention wandering. Perhaps he's simply way out of balance, she thinks. And once she grasps this idea, Lannery lets it grow. It's uncomfortable, but something she understands, something that can be resolved. In her mind, 
it's far better than the alternative. That Dale truly hates the Force and is doing everything he can to tear himself away from it. Your first training session in Stavkesh is almost at an end, Master Tave says later that afternoon. This evening you will prepare food, scrub the kitchens, and then return here to clear the training yard of snow and mud. You might also visit the Thor-Yo and meditate for a while. Meditation is a part of fighting, centering yourself, finding and ensuring your balance. And so, attack me once more, with everything you can. This time there is little hesitation. Lannery and Dale are the first to react. Lannery uses the Force to send a piercing whistle at Master Tave's ears, upsetting his physical balance. But her follow-up attack with an Alchaka kick combination is parried and countered, and her face meets the stone pavement. She feels her nose gush blood the second time that day, and rolls onto her side in time to see Dale spinning through the air, victim of a Force punch from Tave. The others attack, too, using combinations of the Force and the physical. This time... There is no panting and roaring, groaning and grunting, and the only sounds echoing across the courtyard are the rustling of loose robes, the whisper of bare feet on snow-covered stone, the impacts of flesh against flesh. Master Tave stands tall and fights off every attack. His expression remains impassive, and his movements are fluid and confident. It is Dale who scores the first and only hit of the day. With Tave warding off a sword attack from the Cathar twins, Dale feints a clumsy Alchaka assault, but then slides within Tave's reach and delivers an elbow to his face. Master Tave takes a step back, and his head turns to the side, spots of blood splashing his shoulder. The courtyard grows suddenly still. Dale lowers his elbow, rubbing it slightly from where it contacted Tave's heavy brow. There is a stunned silence. Master Tave smiles. Good, he says. Very good, Dalian. He slings one arm over Dale's shoulder and presses one clawed finger against his chest. You're learning to breathe well, deep and gentle from the stomach instead of the chest. You're learning to control your body instead of letting your body control you. Now imagine what you could do if you were willing to let in the Force. The silence in the courtyard goes from stunned to awkward. Dale says nothing. But Lannery can read his expression and his thoughts as he looks at Master Tave's bruised temple. Who needs the Force? He let you get the hit. No, of course he did. That's Master Tave. You think he'd be fooled by a move more suited to a tavern scrap? He was tired. He let his guard slip. I got him. I hit him. Dale is angry. She can see that. But Lannery cannot let him believe something like this. It will only add impetus to his fleeing the Force. I've heard stories about him. He can hide in the Force, slip away, come back again. She smiles softly. He wanted to let you gain confidence. You were the clumsiest of all of us there, and he didn't want you... Are you serious? Dale asks. Don't treat me like a child, Lannery. I might be younger than you, but I see more. I know more truths. And the truth is, strength doesn't only come from your stupid Force. My Force? Dale snorts. They are high up on the wild, wind-swept top of the temple. It's night, and the views over the plains are amazing. But Dale looks at the sky. None of this is for me, he says, and he sounds almost wistful. None of this down here. Even as Lannery walks away, Dale is still gazing at the stars. I like the fact that Tim starts this chapter off with Lannery and her brother going to the Jedi Temple of Martial Arts. I'm a giant martial arts fan, and being in a third-degree black belt myself, I can relate to some of the questions Dale has. Why do we got to practice on breathing? 
But throughout the entire Star Wars universe, there has been a lot of martial arts reference. But starting the chapter this way with the action is a good way to captivate the audience. And Tim does just that. One of the first things I like is the introduction of Master Tave, a Nogri Jedi Master, and the leader of the martial arts temple, which fits the Nogri very well. But it also shows us that Dale thinks that the Force is useless, and it is not needed. You can do it just as well without it, is what he thinks. But you also see a clear note that Dale is pulling away from his sister, just as much as he is pulling away from the Force. Just a few things that I thought I should point out. Now, let's get back to the story. For a long while, Lannery stared up at the night sky. Alone out in the Tython system, she sometimes sat staring at the stars, letting the Peacemaker fly itself, and wondering what was out there. It was part of the reason why being a ranger suited her. One day she would advance to Master, and then perhaps she would spend more of her time on Tython, contemplating the Force, instructing and guiding others, and eventually becoming an Elder Jedi. But youthful curiosity still drove her, and being alone in space, she had the time to dream. Besides, she liked the adventure. In that regard, perhaps she and her brother were alike. She glanced back into the living area and saw that Trisana was asleep. A pang of annoyance hit her that he slept so easily on her cot. But it was the best place for him right now. As they powered across the Calamar Sea toward the Car Peninsula, Lannery needed to report in. There was much to tell. She lowered the volume on the flat screen and then keyed in Master Dan Powell's code. The soft chiming went on for some time, and then the screen flickered, and Dan Powell's face appeared. Ranger Brock, Dan Powell said. She looked as though she had been asleep. I wasn't expecting to hear from you so soon. Master Dan Powell, Lannery said, bowing her head briefly. I have a quiet moment, and there is progress. Troubling progress. After the brief time delay, the Jedi Master heard her words and appeared suddenly more alert. My brother Dalian is aware that I'm pursuing him, Lannery said. He has his spies, and they followed me from the moment I landed. I'm on the way to one of the Stargazer temples right now. I believe he might be here, right on Calamar. Did you make contact with Trisona? I did. He's proved useful? Lannery considered this for a moment, then nodded. She chose not to mention Dan Powell's genetic manipulation of Tree. It seemed irrelevant and perhaps even intrusive. She was a Jedi Master, after all. Have you questioned any of those close to your brother and the Stargazers? Yes, a woman called Kara. Rich, revered in Calamar society. Something of a hermit, though she seems very aware of any events that have interest for her. She funds the Stargazers. Didn't seem concerned about letting us know that. Hmm. It's from someone like her that we received some of what little information we have. It seems not all those who fund the Stargazers agree with what they're now attempting. I think Kara does. She said as much? Not in so many words. But we searched her apartment and I found something. Dan Powell shifted as she became more interested. Master, are you familiar with the tales of Osamael Orr? Should I be? Lannery smiled. Perhaps not. A story my parents used to tell me when I was a little girl. He's something of a myth from at least 9,000 years ago. An explorer from the very early days of our ancestors' time on Tython. It's said he developed an interest in the old city and disappeared down there, never to be seen again. And the relevance? He was real. And when I searched Kara's apartments, I found a secret room that contained several very old books. There was trouble. Her security droids came and I had to make a creative exit. But I took one of the books with me. And? And it's Osamael Orr's diary from his time exploring the old city. One of them, at least. One of them. It's incomplete. But it contains something that... She pursed her lips. Ranger? 
It seems he found something of the Gree down there. And if my translation of the diary's obtuse wording is accurate, the technology your spies heard about, the Dark Matter device, might well be of Gree origin. Dan Powell was silent for a while, and she did not hide her shock. It contains instructions? No, much of what it says is obscure, and does lead me to believe the stories of Osamael's madness. But there are three mentions of something that translates as Step to the Stars. And toward the end of the diary, it's very short, and I suspect much more once existed. He says he's searching for designs. Did he find them? Right now, there's no way of knowing. Designs for a device to initiate a hypergate. So does it exist? Dan Powell did not answer. It was as if she had not even heard the question. Very little is known of the Gree. If these stargazers do have technical plans for something of Gree origin, they're toying with technology way beyond us. You really believe that? Even though the Gree have been gone for millennia, technology that old might as well be 10,000 years ahead of us instead of 10,000 behind. It's obscure, arcane, not to be touched. I'm doing my best to track him down. This might be worse than we thought. I must speak with Temple Master Lami, and he will want to contact the Council. There's one more thing. The Calamar, Kara? I think she was once a Jedi. Once? It's confused. I couldn't read her at all, but not in the same way that I can't read Trisona. One corner of Dan Powell's mouth lifted in a half-smile, unspoken acknowledgement of whatever was between her and Tree. She claimed that the Force was stale within her. Her name again? Kara. That's all I have. Human, perhaps seventy years old, and big. Big. Huge. Did she fall hard? Master, I didn't kill her. Then how did you search her apartments? We have your friend Tree to thank for that. Dan Powell nodded, but she seemed more distant now. Mind working. Landry, take care. I have heard of such people, but they're very, very rare. Most end up on Bogan for a time, and then come back to us. One remains. Dagan Locke. Yes, him. But a few. We in the Council call them shunned. People in whom the Force can never settle, nor find balance in light or dark, and who develop a disgust for the Force itself. Most of them flee way out into the system, broken mentally and physically. Die. I've never heard of the shunned. Few have. They're not a group, just a name. Dan Powell stared from the screen for a moment, smiling uncertainly. Your own studies? On hold, but... Trisona is impressive. He has his uses. Dangerous, damaged. There's a lot of good in him. Drowned by selfishness, unfortunately. Well, he's suitably annoying, Lannery said. Tell him he'll get what he's promised. And will he? Dan Powell seemed surprised. Of course, Ranger. You think I'd not keep a promise? It was Lannery's turn to smile instead of reply. Find your brother, Dan Powell said, leaning closer to the screen. Stop him. Any way you can, and however you must. You'll be guarding the old city just in case? Just in case. May the Force go with you, Ranger Brock. Master Dan Powell, Lannery said, bowing her head. The screen flickered to darkness. The Peacemaker's nav computer chimed softly. Trisana woke up. Where are we? He asked. Closer to the Stargazers, Lannery said. She heard the static-filled mumble of contact from Carp Peninsula's landing towers, but she turned them off and took manual control of the ship. There was no time for political niceties now. According to the computer, there's only one old Daibendu temple in this quarter no longer used by them. If anything Kara said was true, that'll be where the Stargazers are. So we land and get transport there, Tree said. No, I'm landing us on the temple. On it? 
Strap yourself in. This might get bumpy. So in this chapter, there was a lot of stuff going on. It states that Dale Lannery is going to the Jedi Temple of Martial Arts. Like I said earlier, throughout the Star Wars universe, the Jedi have had similarities to the martial arts. In martial arts, you call your sensei master, plus the whole monk-type vibe that they have. But again, they show how they differ from the Jedi we are used to. They are traveling to another temple to learn from another skill. They meet Jedi Master Tave, which is a Nogri. According to Wikipedia, the Nogri were a sentient species they were native to the planet Hanagra, Hanagra, I don't know how to pronounce that. The Nogri were a humanoid in shape with a torso and a single head, two arms, two legs, entirely hairless and a little bit wire. They had gray skin and a row of short horns in the center of their heads. Their hands and their feet each possessed four long fingers. Although they stood upright walking on two legs, the Nogri ran on all fours and were capable of leaping great heights and jumping long distances. And their tracking abilities were awesome. This was because of their keen sense of smell. Some say that their smell was so good that they were able to smell somebody's DNA. They also possessed great fighting skills. So it makes sense that Master Tave is the martial arts master. Something else that I found really interesting is when Lenary is talking with Master Dan Pal, she doesn't ask her about her manipulation of Tree or even why she manipulated him. Lenary just states how she is impressed by it. We know from the earlier in the story that she and the master both practiced alchemy of the flesh. If I had a teacher that liked the same thing that I liked, I would be asking all kind of questions. Something else that I just wanted to point out is that the Jedi of this time called the people that used to have a connection with the Force or used to be Jedi and don't anymore, they called them the Shun. It's almost like the Force just withdrew from them. But it surprised me that the Jedi don't keep a better record of these people. Master Dan Powell says that there's only one that she knows of. But we know that Kara was once a Jedi or had Force abilities. There's a lot going on. And I'm super excited to find out what happens in Chapter 7. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.